Cool. All right. Sounds like we're ready then. We are ready. All right. Hi, everyone. I'm Dan. I'm Patrick. I'm Grandpa. And there's no carry this week, but it's still the 1997... Are we 98? No, we're in 98. We're the 1998 Academy Awards. I'm good at paying attention. Yeah. Uh, This is If I Ran the Oscars, where we watch the Titanic, because that's the only movie that came out this year, apparently. Uh, We watch one movie... Uh, chosen at random that got an award at the Academy Awards each year. And uh, we look at what it won for, as well as three other randomly chosen awards. And we randomly chose multiple awards that it didn't win somehow. But uh, obviously one that it did win. Obviously one that it did. Uh, this Titanic tied Ben-Hur, which we also watched, for the most Academy Awards in Oscar history. Mm. At 11. Mm-hmm. And would later go on to have that award tied with Lord of the Rings. With what? Lord, uh, one of the Lord of the, the Rings, Rings movies Rings. also got 11. It, the, it is the first film to win Best Picture without a screenwriting nomination at all mm. since The Sound of Music in mm. 1965. Wow. So that's kind of a thing. This is also the first time two people were nominated for playing the same person in the same movie. Because Kate Winslet and Gloria Stewart, who we'll get to, both played Rose and were both nominated for Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress. But mostly this movie is good on a very technical level because it won every single technical award except makeup. (laughs) <laughs> it lost out to a sci-fi film for makeup, which is unsurprising. But this movie is kind of landmark because it's... Uh, I'd have to double check if it's the first one or just one of the first ones to uh, get a billion dollars. And I think it's the first one. Yep, first film to earn more than one billion dollars worldwide. That's earnings now. At earn- mm-hmm. Yep, earnings. It at the time, was easily the highest-grossing film of all time worldwide, and in fact would only be defeated by James Cameron again 12 years later with Avatar. With Avatar, yeah. In fact, James Cameron has the first and third most profitable movies. Wow. I believe one of the Avengers snuck in for number two. He's probably doing pretty well for himself. And in fact... Because Titanic was re-released to theaters in 2012 for the 100th anniversary. That's when it crossed $2 billion. And since this was after Avatar, James Cameron got the first and second movies to make $2 billion. Uh, it is, in fact, a wildly successful movie. Uh, it opened in December of 1997. And who would like to guess... What its single most profitable day was in theaters? Probably Christmas. No. No? Uh, Well, I think New Year's would be better than that, but even that I'm not sure of. No. It will make a lot of sense when I tell you. It's Valentine's Day. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It made $13 million on Valentine's Day. This Mm. was eight weeks after it was out. Yeah. Hmm. Stayed in theaters for 10 months in America. Which is insane. And yeah, outside of North America, it, ma- it made twice as much money outside of North America. And was one of the first blockbuster American movies to be wildly successful in India. And India has a huge market. Because they got so many people. 
that is attributed mostly to the similarities to how Indian film popular Indian films go uh, with the dancing and the drama. Yeah, that I they think people really latched onto that. But yeah, this movie is nuts, and we won't talk too much about the plot because again, the plot isn't the best part of this movie. It's all of the things around it. Uh, James Cameron, who kind of has to be discussed a little bit, his first breakout movie was The Terminator in 1984, which we didn't watch. This was followed by Aliens, The Abyss, Terminator 2, and then his crowning achievement, True Lies. No kidding. (laughs) Not his crowning achievement. That's a joke. Yeah. But yeah, no, he directed True Lies. Which is a comedy with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it and Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh-huh. But he would then go on after Titanic to produce Avatar, a film that is wildly successful. And they keep on saying they're going to make sequels to it. It's been 12 years. Apparently they've uh, they started shooting. They've started shooting one, huh? But he's also a National Geographic Sea Explorer. And has produced multiple documentaries on deep sea exploration. And was the first person to perform a solo descent to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. Is that right? Yes, in 2012. (laughs) So, you know, actually probably know something about the Titanic. In fact, the scenes where they filmed in the present, quote-unquote, on the exploration ship that was exploring the Titanic... That's the boat James Cameron was on when he explored the Titanic in 1995. Mm. So, he seems to know what he's doing. So, according to the James Cameron uh, IMDb, yes. Avatar 2 and 3 are in post-production. Ah. 4 and 5 are filming. Good. Okay, good. <laughs> so, I'm we'll get we enough have, Avatar. I'm glad we have the next four <laughs> of those movies taken care of. Uh Next, we get to finally talk about Leonardo DiCaprio. Oddly enough, we haven't actually had much chance to talk about him, because his first major film role was only 1993. However, his first nomination came later that year, in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. No kidding. An award, he he did not win the award, but he was nominated for that. This, of course, would be his high point for a significant period of time, Titanic. But he was also in Romeo plus Juliet, which was last year, I believe, 96. Uh, he was in Growing Pains. Yeah. I'm just thinking, you know, mm-hmm. I had no idea as a young man. Uh, Catch Me If You Can and Gangs of New York, both fairly good movies. We watched Gangs of New York for mm-hmm. the other podcast. That one is uh, Martin Scorsese and Daniel Day-Lewis are in that one, and we like both of them. Uh... And he would finally win an Academy Award for The Revenant. Mm -hmm. It took him a while of being in lots of good movies. But it took the movie where he gets attacked by a bear. A a film I have not managed to watch yet. Yeah. What Uh, was the name? Revenant? Revenant. Revenant. Rev with a V. Revenant. Revenant. Some kind of spooky thing. Uh, He has a production company. And a nonprofit devoted to environmental awareness. He also seems like a pretty decent guy. He was 21 when they filmed this movie. Hmm. So, you know, actual young people. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, 
interestingly enough, uh, we don't need to talk about Kate Winslet. We talked about her already, like <laughs> two weeks ago. Uh, it was more than no, oh, maybe it was, was it? about two. Yeah, two, maybe three. Yeah. So you know, we've talked about her. Next, however, Billy Zane, the rich asshole fiance. Huh. He is mostly doing production stuff, but he has done acting. And in fact, we in our casual lives have seen him in another movie. He's one of Biff Tannen's cronies oh, in Back yeah. to the Future. Wow. That'd be hard to pick out of a crowd. Yeah. Uh, and he had a recurring role in the second season of Twin Peaks. Not something I would be familiar with. Twin Peaks has got a big deal, but I've never seen it either. I probably should. I hear it's good. Uh, Rose's mother is Frances Fisher. She uh, started off uh, in theater and then start, got her real start in soap operas, The Guiding Light, in 1976. Hmm. But would go on to act in lots of things. Uh, she was in the TV show version of The Watchmen, which is based on a comic book, in 2019. She's still going. But our real star, and one that we really do sort of need to pay attention to, is Gloria Stewart. Because they did not put any old lady makeup on her. Well, I mean, they probably put some makeup on her some to make her maybe. look good. But uh, her first uh, film was in 1932. Well, she was a good-looking broad, too. Oh, I mean, so ordinarily, I'd say, Grandpa, don't say that. But if you take a look at her picture, he's not wrong. Yeah. Someone who had good glamour shots in the 30s. I should, uh, yeah. I should take a look at that. No, look at some, look at some 1930s glamour well, shots here, sir. Yeah. No. She was, she was, what, 87? 86. 86 when this was filmed? But... She started mostly doing theater in by 1940 and essentially stopped being in films up until the late 70s. And then she was kind of off and on in bit parts, but then th- but then this film came along. Her final film was in 2000 much like Rose did at age 100 in 2010. She was also an environmental activist. I think that there's a theme, but... Yeah, a lot of them are. <laughs> uh, oh, co-founding member of the Screen Actors Guild. Okay. <laughs> That's a big deal. We like her. Uh, let's run down some more people we haven't talked about. Bill Paxton. He was the treasure hunter at the beginning of the film. Making the weird movies and realizing he had stories on his hands. Uh, he probably was on James Cameron's radar because he was in Aliens and True Lies. Yeah. But also Apollo 13, uh, and has more recently been in uh, Hatfields and McCoy's History Channel series. But he died in 2017. He was only 61. The only thing I remember him most from is something very silly, because it's random things on the internet. He has a bit part in the Spy Kids films, and there's a scene where he lands out of, like, teleporting from outer space, and he's a cowboy, and he says, did somebody ring the dinkster? And... I had a vague connection. When I remember, because there's a guy on the internet, and he posts that clip from that film onto YouTube every day. Not reminds people it's there. He re-uploads it to their servers. So Mm. there's this single page that's about a thousand of the same ten-second clip from a movie. 
and it's just Bill Paxton, and it's very dumb. <laughs> uh, another supporting lady, Kathy Bates, who we have not talked about before, so we get to talk about her. Kathy Bates? Kathy Bates. She was the uh, American rich lady who had married into her money. And the other... The, the unsinkable Bri- Molly Brown. The unsinkable Molly Brown. The other British people weren't sure about her. Uh, her best actress came from Misery, oh, which yeah, is okay. a Stephen King book. And pretty darn dramatic, if I recall that one correctly. Uh, she's done other things. I remember seeing Fried Green Tomatoes once upon a time. Uh, she has uh, 14 Emmy nominations, so that's kind of a deal. Uh, so she's done a lot of television. She's done a lot of television. Yes. Uh, yeah, won two Emmys, but 14 nominations. So she's been pretty good for a while. Victor Garber, whose name I didn't recognize, but face I did, uh, was the designer of the Titanic in this. He has six Emmys and, unfortunately, no Academy Awards. But I have a piece of trivia about him. What's your piece of trivia? The first listing of his performances on IMDb. Yeah? Jesus in Godspell. Was he age one? It was 1973, so he was 20-something. Oh, no, he was, he was, he was, no, 73, he would have been, like, 14. No, 20, 24. 24. 24, all right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't have recognized him Yeah, in that role. More recently, uh, he's known for his work on the TV series Alias, which was a big deal in the early 2000s, and then very more recently on the TV shows The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow, mm-hmm. where he's doing superhero stuff. Yeah. And that always will make you popular nowadays. And I got one more, because it's Bernard Hill, the captain of the ship. He played... Originally, his big groundbreaking thing was in the 1980s, Boys from the Black Stuff. I don't know anything about it, but it's a TV show from, I believe this is Britain. There's only seven episodes, but it was apparently a great big deal. Mm. And then he was King Theoden of Rohan in the Lord of the Rings movies, asking where was Gondor when Titanic fell. Uh, okay. Yeah. He hasn't necessarily done a lot of things, but... Much like when you've been in Harry Potter, once you've been in Lord of the Rings, you you've, kind of you're basically good to go. Yeah, he did well for himself in that in that series oh, yeah. of films. And there's just there's a lot of people in this movie, but there's not a ton of big names. Most of the people were CG. Mo- well, no, <laughs> they added that in post, but they had a lot of stunt guys in this one. This was. This one, oh, yeah. production-wise, this is really where this we're going to spend the most time on this. And realistically, we shouldn't talk about this too much because despite all of the eh screenwriting, it's a good movie. It's worth watching. Mm-hmm. And if for nothing else, for the technical achievement of they built a life-size set of the Titanic. Oh, yeah. They built a 1-6 scale model in a 17 million gallon tank and sunk it twice. <laughs> the, uh, like, big grand staircase set yeah. was built the way it was on the Titanic, except about 10% wider so that it was easier to see people. And they reinforced it with steel so that when they poured water on it, it wouldn't break. Then they poured water on it and it broke. <laughs> There's so much stuff going on with this 
the way that you have to design your sets, and this is going to be important for what we talk about, the way you have to design your sets so that you know later you're going to flood them, that's such a monumental undertaking and the amount of foresight it requires. Well, and, and it wasn't just flooding, like, we're just going to slowly fill this with water. It was many scenes of rushing, flowing, fast-moving water yeah, it's the, with people in it. It's the blood in the elevator scene, but the entire yeah. set. It, it, so it's crazy trying to get all that to work yeah. and keep your actors and stunt people safe. safe. Yeah. The, they did less crazy stunts on the tilting ship, because when they started doing the medium stunts, they started hurting people. They they were sliding a lot. They were sliding and running into things. The guy who yeah. wanged off of the propeller was probably not real. That was probably not a real guy. I if you I didn't look to see if there is a behind the scenes on the technical work on this DVD. But if there is on the version you go find when you get it from the library, watch it. Uh, it's kind of insane the amount of stuff they had. I. Uh, a fact from filming, uh, someone who they never caught, but an angry crew member who was sick of being yelled at, because apparently James Cameron yells at people, uh, put PCP in their soup. <laughs> like like for the crew? Yeah. Oh, well, that's he, different. Cameron uh, apparently barfed it up before he took too much, but 50 people went to the hospital. And they never caught the guy. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's weird yeah. trivia. But they knew who did it? No, they didn't. They, they, well, they, they didn't. They oh, just know that... They know that someone did it, because... Well, PCP doesn't just fly in there. But. No. You don't see, You don't accidentally get that in there, and you don't go, Huh, I wonder what made us all act like we were on drugs. <laughs> uh, so, they were going to cut the movie down to two hours. Fox was. And James Cameron essentially said... You, you can't do, have it. You will have you to do that. Um. Well, say so it was to do that. You will have to fire me, yeah. and to fire me, you will have to kill me. Yeah. And they didn't. He did also offer to forfeit his share of the profits as compensation for just let the film be. I won't make any money on it. I just want to see this thing made this way. And they said no because we don't think there will be any profits. So that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> And then it went on that's to be one. wildly successful, but that's another that story. That's a good one. Yeah. They had a chance to take I, him up. Oh, jeez. You could go... What kind of people run these companies? Yeah, really. Well, the problem is <laughs> I that... I don't think we want to know. <laughs> they, don't, they don't make three-hour epics anymore at this time. Yeah. We've been right. on a steady diet of two-hour or less movies. Yeah. And you get one every once in a while. Dances with Wolves was long, yeah. but we also watched the director's cut. And yeah. and yet, we have watched some very long films in this series. Mentioned Ben-Hur previously. That one was very long. Ben-Hur. And was it, wasn't uh, Gandhi a long one? Gandhi was a long one. It's the historical ones yeah. that they want to make longer because they want to show history properly. And the problem is that if you got a someone who is selling you a movie based on a fictional romance, right, surrounding a historical thing with $200 million of technical achievement, that's too many things. You can't do it all right. There's no way you can make a movie like that, hit every note, and have it be successful. If I was an executive, I would believe he was crazy. 
Because you can't do that. It's never been done before. Well, or at least not in their time working as an executive. Well, there was a, an awful lot of history written about the Titanic, mm -hmm. which was pure fantasy, as far as I'm concerned. Certain things, certain things were recorded. Yeah? Nearer my God to thee. That, I remember this from about the fifth grade, because I haven't read a damn thing about it <laughs> since about that time. So everything I'm telling you comes from a long ways back. But that's one of them I remember. The, the lights were out, it was dark, and then it was quiet. And the people in the boats could hear the band playing, Nearer My God to Thee, until the water got them. And Ben-Hur was also an amazing technical achievement. Yeah. And historical. Less romance in that one. Yeah, yeah. But executives aren't going to pounce. There was but more, more hist history. Okay. What's interesting is, since Titanic happened, and I know of one specifically because I watch a guy on YouTube called Internet Historian. And if you're not paying attention to him, listeners who are, you know, sort of around my age group, uh, you should. Because he does very well-researched, interesting, and humorous looks at important events that maybe you don't necessarily take a look at. One of them was, in 2012, it was a ship called the Costa Concordia. And... It ran aground while attempting to showboat the mainland, an island off the coast of Italy. Oh, I remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. what's interesting is that it had yeah. the multiple-chambered yeah. hull like the Titanic. Yeah. And so watching what happened to that ship, yes, this happened in 2012 after this film, but you can look at that and see how things ha would have happened. And Grandpa's exactly right. Power went out really early in that ship's life. Mm -hmm. as, as far as going down is concerned. It also didn't actually go that far down because it didn't actually sink in all that deep of water. Yeah. It kind of stopped. Yeah. But kinda that's, just kinda that's a different down. story. Yeah. But you can see things like, well, what would happen when a big boat goes down? And we can mm -hmm. actually yeah. have history to look at. Well, and, and they have done the deep dive. Mm -hmm. I happen to be looking right now at the credits for the deep dive. <laughs> James Cameron was the director of photography for that. Yeah, because he was actually down Pretty there. Pretty interesting. But but having done the deep dive, I'm sure there's been, been one analysis after the other about how did it really go down. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they probably picked one of the theories. And even in know. the 90s, computers were probably enough that they could do passable simulations. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, you could like, exactly simulate what the Titanic would do. Yeah. I, the ending, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen the Titanic, when I, Rose is saved on her piece of float wood, I, I knew that was the ending because Mythbusters did it. <laughs> In season 14, they analyzed whether the wood would have stayed afloat and whether they would have survived. And the answer is no. If, be, even though there was enough physical space for them both to be on the wood, it would have been too much weight, and it would have sunk, yeah. or at least been low enough in the yeah. water they would have been they, in the water. They would have been wet, yeah. Well, it was a piece of a set, and they always make sets out of foam. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. It floated no. better. Yeah, it would have floated better. <laughs> uh, they actually probably would have made that one out of wood so it floated properly. <laughs> but the fun thing about Mythbusters is, if they had thought to take off the life jacket and put it under the wood, they probably would have been fine. Yeah. Because the life jacket wasn't doing anything on her. Of well, course, her warm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it did do that. Well, yes. And you're not going to think of that when you're in the middle you're of the not. Atlantic. You're not, because <laughs> you tell people about the 20-minute the survival rate in the North Atlantic. Yeah. Without uh, with nothing but a 
flimsy flight suit on or something like that. And they think, 20 minutes? Jesus, you're crazy. Yeah. I, That's what it is. People were in their boats for about an hour to an hour and a half. Of course, those people were out of the water. Everyone in the water, no and chance. They, most of them had wraps on. Yeah. They had never been wet. Yeah. I don't have much more to say about the movie because, again, the plot is fine. The technical parts and the history parts are what's interesting about this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we do have to talk about our things. So the first thing we're talking about is best art direction. This is set design. Boy, howdy. Uh, it's kind of one of a kind, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's, this was before it was easy to fake sets with computers. Yeah. They added in lifeboats, and when they were filming on miniatures, they added in people sometimes with CGI, but the boats were real. Okay, the water was fake because sometimes their sets weren't in the water, and the sky was fake, apparently. Yeah. When they were shooting up at the night sky, that there, was all fake. There were a few clips that when you could look and think, oh, yeah, green screen sky. Yeah. You know. But this was before just making everything digital was the norm. And you had, if you wanted to do this right, you had to do it right. Mm-hmm. And by golly, they did. Very, a lot of the sets were based off of, you go down and you look at the darn thing. What did it look like? Build it. Mm-hmm. And they did. So, yeah, easy win there. First bonus, cinematography. What do we think about the uh, actual, like, film choices when they were filming their scenes? I thought it was pretty good. Uh, They would rank right up there as far as I'm concerned. Yep. And, in fact, it did win for cinematography because they didn't shy away from showing things. They really didn't. Right. Like, the only times they didn't were when, like, people were falling into a hole, and you don't need to watch them going down into a hole. But they showed the guy boinking off of the propeller. There were multiple times where you could tell they were showing off, because they would have someone on the boat, and then the camera would go up like this, and see person, boat, water, in a way that, to someone who doesn't know the technicals of film, would make you go, oh, that's a real boat, in real water. Yeah. How else would they do this? Yeah. Which is fine. You can absolutely show off between like that. between the cinematography and the film editing. They, I think, they did some really good moves like yeah. that. Yeah. And of course, they won for both cinematography and film editing. Yeah. I uh, cinematography. Uh, the only one on the list I recognize is L.A. Confidential. Uh, as long as we're here, film editing. I uh, a lot of good movies for film editing. Uh, Air Force One, as good as it gets, Goodwill Hunting, and L.A. Confidential. So good work there. No, Air Force One is that the real old one with Jimmy uh, Stewart? No, no that's no, the one with Harrison Ford is... and the awful, awful airplane. Awful airplanes? Uh, no. There's a scene at the very end when Air Force One crashes in the ocean. Oh. Spoilers for everyone who hasn't seen Air Force One, but they it, it's using early computer graphics, and they do an awful job. It looks fake. It looks fake. It looks worse yeah. than fake. Yeah. It looks like they didn't try. Yeah. But that's a different story. They There are better graphics these days. There are better graphics these days. But our next category is Best Supporting Actor. And I do not believe there was a nomination, but we'll see. Who did they think the supporting actor was? Uh, there was not a nomination for this film. There was not a nomination for this film. So let's pick one. Yeah, who would it be? Uh, probably the fiancé. 
Yeah. He was in he was he was affecting the plot more than anyone else. Yeah, he was he was a good jerk. That's true. Good jerk. I don't think a necessarily not, memorable one. Not a memorable role from the standpoint of oh boy, he should get an no. award for that. Uh best supporting actor this year went to Robin Williams for Goodwill Hunting. Which, and as as I understand it was very good. It was very good. <laughs> I liked it. Yeah. And our last one, Best Actress, for which Kate Winslet was nominated but did not win. Mm. I think it was fine. I think that in a worse year, she would have easily... She would have had a shot. She would have had a shot. Yeah. Uh, But she was up against uh, Judi Dench. Helen Hunt won. Yeah. Helena Bonham Carter, Julie Christie. Yeah. It was a pretty good year for ladies in films. Yeah. Honestly, it was a pretty good year for acting, and it's just a darn shame that the movie that didn't have standout actors won everything else. Yeah, yeah no nomination for Leonardo DiCaprio either. No, nope. no, no men got nominated for acting for Titanic. Mm. Uh, mm. A little surprising to me. I think that he did a pretty good job too, but it was mm. a good year. Goodwill Hunting got a lot of nominations. Oh yeah, well, was for a, a lot of different things. Well, they got the one. They got the screenwriting. Yeah. They got the screenwriting that Titanic wanted to have. Mm-hmm. Anything else we want to say about the movie or the time around it? We inch ever closer to Lord of the Rings. Two, we do indeed. Two more podcasts from now, although we might, I might not upload for a week or two if, you got, if more people leave the house. I've been pretty bad about uploading when I, I don't also record, but we'll see. Maybe I'll try and remember. I find it kind of fun to look at. Um, when we're talking about the actors yeah. in the in the films, where have we seen them watching films in this series? Yeah, that's kind of a fun thing to do. And I mean, you're looking at, for instance, um, Bernard Hill playing his role in um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah, but we have seen him before. What was he in in this series? He was in Gandhi. Huh. All right, and, I believe it. You know, it's one of those. Could you pick him out? He was one of, the, one of the military uh, officers. That sounds about right. Yeah. He seems to play military people yeah, in his movies. which seems to work. Yeah. <laughs> she wanted to see him all. Yeah. Or he, no, he was Sergeant Putnam. That's who he was. <laughs> all right. So, you know, you couldn't pick him out, yeah. but... <laughs> all right. So, I, does one of us do the outro, or do we want to call Mom and have her do it by phone? Oh, man. You just... it. You almost feel like we should just skip it, because she's not here to do it. <laughs> and then mom said something and it was really profound. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.